hit record. I hit record. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're making me lead in. Yes, I am. You Eat can do this. it. You're listening to Deeper Magic. Hey everyone, this is the Deeper Magic Podcast. I'm Peter here with my daughter Anna for episode three in what has proven to be an ongoing series. Hey there, Anna. Hi, how's it going? Well, good. Uh, it's uh, fun to sit down here again with you after a couple of episodes. I think mm-hmm. uh, we've had a maybe even a, to both of us a surprising amount of feedback from a variety yeah. of different angles uh, from people. It's just been so fun to talk back and forth. I know at, at um, some point we'll have more voices into the deeper magic sort of ecosystem, I suppose, as it were, and there'll I be people so. that will be uh, bringing further questions. But two things that have come up that will, I think, drive what we want to talk about today. One is from the last episode. We talked a little bit about this Romans road and what salvation maybe isn't and the <laughs> sacred cow, the short road. That I want to say one thing about the Romans road, if I could. Mm. I forgot. Like you're talking Bible theology professor boy. Yeah. Who grew up in all of this. I forgot that I said there was only three signposts last you week. You left out a signpost? I left out a signpost. But, Peter but, Kapsner. I know, I know, I know. Wow. Uh, and after we did Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 last week and the wages of sin is death and the Romans road, and this is the really fun part about the road, mm-hmm. after Romans 6.23, you don't move forward to Romans chapter 10 or whatever and skip all of that. You actually, on this road, you get to go backwards a little bit. <gasps> oh, fun. Because <laughs> you, 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 you sort of flew over chapter five and after you get to chapter six, then you have to go backwards and, and, and say, well... It's like a detour. <laughs> so it's a yeah. backwards and forwards road and a short road. That last signpost was uh, just... The wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life. And then while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us as part of the good news from chapter five. So for, um, for those so people not troubled. not only were you teaching something that doesn't really make any sense, you were also teaching it wrong. <laughs> well, I hadn't thought about it in those terms <laughs> before, but but like, I, I, I don't have a lot of defense. You had the audacity to teach that, but you also had the audacity to teach it incorrectly. Yeah. Uh, I, I've Good got job. nothing to say. Literally nothing Proud to say. Proud of you. So, but people said, so if it's not the Romans road, what is it? And and that's going to take a series of episodes um, yeah, to sure with other will. people in mind to do the best that we can to try to unpack and understand uh, kingdom life um, mm-hmm. and, and the invitation of salvation and gospel. And in this episode that actually then is going to get into the deeper magic from before the dawn of time kind of will set at least the beginnings of a foundation. Yeah. But it was the second thing. Another thing that came up was well, can you even use the word magic? Because you're, yeah. you're a Christian and magic is like scary and weird. and Magic ooh, is a and, sin. Right. And so, the, so Which we thought, is weird for me as somebody who grew up with, like homeschooled with a mom who was very like, look, these are where the fairies live and like all the things. It's like I grew up having, a, I mean, I originally had a very like fairy tale conception of magic, Yeah. but it was never like a doubt in my mind that magic existed. And even now as a 20 year old, I'm like, oh yeah, magic exists in the world. And I think it's a beautiful thing and I love it. And I, I love reading about it. I love stumbling upon it in right. nature, but like, it is funny to me because I do forget that magic is something that like Christians typically are like, oh, but that's a sin. You can't do that because it's never been that for me. Yeah. Well, and, and I think understandably so. I mean, you and I are going to need to work through this a little bit. And you've done some interesting work within mm-hmm. the, the Old Testament and the Hebrews from some of these passage uh, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
getting into the prohibitions against magic in that place. And then we'll also have to, de- to define what we mean by magic and what C.S. Lewis meant by the yeah, deeper magic from absolutely. before the dawn of time, because I think it becomes pretty clear that we're really meant to live in this enchanted world and we're living in a world of disenchantment. And, and when we move back just through the raw arguments of, of theology or move through um, just science as the only way of understanding the world, mm-hmm. if God is actually present in this world and God is actually accessible in this world, we're actually talking about an invisible force in this world with whom we claim to have relationship, but yeah. shows up in an incredible variety of ways uh, within this unseen realm. And, but to your point, magic is, it, it has been and can be scary for people. I, I would say this, that probably among the most controversial <laughs> questions I can ask in my classes, right. bes- besides whether you are a Calvinist or an Armenian, which, right. which makes me laugh, or... Um, or whether or not women can participate in the church. Yeah, that's another one or for in sure. The home. Yep, and, and so those two are critical. Or uh, another one uh, would be about predestination and election, mm-hmm. about who's going to heaven and hell. And we totally have missed the point of that whole conversation that right. it wasn't even about those things in, in the New Testament. It was about God having, from the beginning uh, in his mind, the idea that he He chose to redeem the Gentiles along with the Jews. And we can have a whole different conversation about that. <laughs> but the class gets equally quiet about what's really a fun question, which is, can a Christian read Harry Potter? Because it's filled which is so with funny magic. To me. I mean, but Anna, the room, honestly, it, it, here's what happens in the room. It goes, pin drop quiet mm-hmm. like just pin drop quiet and there's all kinds of hidden harry potter readers that <laughs> don't want to admit it in the class yeah. for fear of some sort of reprisal and then no there's... i've been that person because i've sat in on your class and I you're know. like can you read harry potter and the whole class gets so so quiet <laughs> and suddenly i'm like uh-oh uh, and and so that you have half, probably half the students just saying, mm-hmm. "Oh gosh, I hope he says yes because I have," but I don't want to say it out loud because I think that <laughs> and I, I don't want to go to hell <laughs> exactly. And then probably the other half of the class, there's probably another forty of the fifty percent remaining that would mm-hmm. love to read Harry Potter, but they have felt like they can't. And then there's ten percent that you know already have their their leather bound Bibles open with the with the gold flecked pages and the words yep. of Jesus somehow telling us that we shouldn't. And mm-hmm. mm, that's a, you know a caricature, uh, of course. But it's a confusing. I mean, to an extent. Well, there's always a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I, I you know here's the thing. I've actually been that person. I remember oh, totally. being in a class as an undergraduate where I sat in the back of the room, and as that heretical. Person professor was thundering away about stuff, man. I had my leather-bound Bible open mm-hmm. with those gold flecked pages. To you were different ready passages. to throw hands. Oh, man. I was, too. I was protecting everybody from everything that was wrong in the, in the world at the time. Oh, definitely. So I actually love that The impulse. warrior of Christ. It's it's often among young men, and, and I, I really appreciate yeah. that impulse. It just needs to maybe be directed. I needed to be directed in some ways, and, and I, I see it. So I sympathize with it. But mm-hmm. When we talk about magic uh, and whether a Christian can read Harry Potter, I think there's a different kind of magic that's going on in these J.K. Rowling series. And you and I have loved them over the years. We both studied in Edinburgh, did most of my Ph.D. work in the same coffee shop Mm -hmm. that she came to when she was a destitute single mother. And this whole Harry Potter story had arrived in her mind the way she described it on, on just like a single train ride from London to Edinburgh. She says that the entire story of all seven books popped into her mind. And so she sat at this coffee shop overlooking a cemetery that had many of the names of the main characters in it. You can see at least a little part of one of the schools there that is the inspiration for Hogwarts itself with four different towers. And I did most of my writing in one coffee shop where filled Uh with Harry Potter quotes everywhere. But you also did a fair amount of your work in this last year in Edinburgh. So there are two uh, cafes in Edinburgh that she spent a lot of time in. 
One of them is the one that you spent a lot of your time in, the Elephant House, which is gorgeous. I think it's like temporarily closed yeah, it right burned, now. Yeah, it like burned down just Yeah, because so there was a fire soon, in the building yeah. next door, but they are they do have plans to reopen. They're rebuilding inside, and it sounds like they're was a lot of smoke damage, but not a lot of structural damage. Right, right. And I um, hope they preserve the bathroom there. And that sounds really so weird too. to say it out loud. But when you go to the bathroom of the Elephant House, they everything, have markers, like permanent every, markers yes, in there. They do. Every square inch is covered with yeah. Harry Potter quotes. And we can't let uh, Notes your to siblings Rowling, in. Like all the right. things. Yeah. But your siblings who haven't finished all of the books yet, yeah, we can't let them into the bathroom for fear of, uh, of spoilers. Yeah, so we've got to go down go the road. Door. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, and so I spent a lot of my time last year when I was there for university um, in the other cafe, which now is Nicholson's, but it used to be Spoons. Right, Spoons is her big. Um, that was maybe her more central place. Was it writing was, in Spoons. and it is. It is still very um, Harry Potter in there. They have like posters and and stuff all over the wall. They have like Quidditch things and the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so that was where I spent a lot of my time. So I do think it is funny that like. You spent your time in one Harry Potter cafe right. and I spent my time in the other one. Um, but I have an added layer of controversy for me with Harry Potter because I am a Slytherin. I know you which are. Which anybody who has read the books and not, I would say, properly engaged with the fandom um, would know that that means that I am evil. You are. Because um, you must yeah. have gone to, you went to, what is it, Pottermore.com where did. you can take these it's tests? It's not Pottermore anymore. Okay. Now it's... um. I don't know what it is anymore. It's something else now. Okay. But but yeah, the Harry Potter website. Yeah, and you came up at Slytherin, but then you cheated. You like took the test multiple yeah. times. You can't do that. That's no, like taking I a personality test to. and and just getting the outcome that you want. I want to be an IFTMJ or whatever these different things oh, are. Oh, that I have thing no idea. drives me insane. We, right. Um, I remember... Actually, about the Myers-Briggs really quickly. Um, <laughs> Sorry to I was listening you. to Welcome to Night Vale the other day, which, again, I would super highly recommend for anyone and everyone. It's a, fanta- it's a fantastic fiction podcast. Yeah. Um, but in Welcome to Night Vale, he said something about – I don't remember what the exact quote was, but he said something about Myers-Briggs. <laughs> and he was like, it's basically just astrology for psychologists. <laughs> And I have never oh, forgotten you have that. Just, I'm thinking of a therapist was, friend of ours right now. You so just alienated. Funny. Yes. I was like, I don't know if that was an insult to Myers-Briggs or an insult to astrology. And I think it was kind of both. <laughs> but it, it was so Dual funny. Purpose. I had to pause it because I like was laughing too hard and missed whatever happened next. Yeah. But um, you, but I mean, when you took the the Pottermore version of a, of a, of a test psychologically, yes. you totally cheated. Like you. I didn't cheat. Yes, you I, did. I did, but not initially. You're ruthlessly honest, Anna. You cheated. Let me tell my story. Um, So when I took it, I was told by one of my good friends who had already taken it um, that you're supposed to take it like at least twice. I've heard that too. Because it gives you different questions each time you take it. Like there's a certain amount of questions and it only gives you like some of them. And so depending on which questions you get, your house might change Um, because I don't know. That's how it works. Um, And so when she took it, every time she takes it, she gets Hufflepuff every single time, no matter what questions she gets. I took it twice. The first time I got Ravenclaw and the second time I got Slytherin. And I was like, well, I have to do it a third time now, really just to make sure. <laughs> and I kind of was like, I think it would be fun to like be the be the person that breaks the Slytherin stereotype. It was little like 13-year-old Anna who was like, haha, this is a real problem that the world is facing right. that I can do something about. A homeschool kid um, who's also wow, a Slytherin. Yikes. Um, but I then went and Googled 
which answers correspond to which houses. <laughs> so <laughs> cheaty. And I picked the answers so that I got 100% Slytherin. <laughs> and I didn't tell anybody about it for years later. And then... A while ago, I told I told my best friend, I was like, actually, I don't know that I am a legitimate Slytherin because that's what I did to get that result. And she was like, that's the most Slytherin thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the fact <laughs> that that even yeah. occurred to you to do that, to rig the test so that you got the house that you wanted, that is the most Slytherin thing that I could have done. <laughs> and so she was like, no, you are. You are really there. But, but the magic yes. in all of that, which, you know, of course, it's rife with magic, is really different than the man so it's different a than the the magic against the, where there's the prohibitions and leviticus mm-hmm. and deuteronomy we'll talk about that next and it's also different than the kind of magic or the the magic of enchantment more of a more mm-hmm. a, of a god energied enchantment in this world that lewis right. is talking about with the deeper magic so i well, found it really interesting what you found about the biblical prohibitions against magic in this last uh, study session that you did Totally. And I think one thing that's really interesting is that one of the major like underlying themes is there is magic and there's also boundaries to magic. Right. And when you cross that and you pervert magic and you use it to manipulate the laws of the universe or like the rules of life and death or or messing with souls and like stuff like that, when you get into that sort of thing, that's when they are like, um... That is evil. Yeah, right. And you don't do that. Right. And so even within Harry Potter, even though they are using magic, there is a sense of like there are still rules to the world and you do not misuse this even though it is there and you could, you, you don't. Well, and I think the crazy thing, it, it, then not only do you have this imaginative world of Harry Potter in which magic exists, mm-hmm. but I think we really sometimes underestimate the world of the Bible mm-hmm. and how the writers of the Bible would have lived in their world. I mean, the, yeah, how the Hebrew, the Hebrew people who are the ones who wrote the scriptures about which now we read, that they were not living in some sort of weird Western intellectualized um, scientific mindset. And so they yeah. wrote... The, the fancy phrase for it is is the Hebrew metaphysic or how they understood mm-hmm. both the physical world but the world beyond the physical that was every bit as much real as the physical world. So they yeah. really believed in a physical world and they also believed in a meta or beyond the physical world. And they were interwoven together. They interacted with one another. That When there's prohibitions against magic that are going on in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's with the assumption yeah. that there actually is some version of something in the Hebrew metaphysic where there's powers and principalities and mm-hmm. energies and and spiritual realm, all of these kinds of things. And, and I... There is a specific prohibition against a version of it that you are looking at that had to do with like divination and some of these other things. Yeah, and so this is something, and and this will get a little bit technical. I I try to keep it as not technical as I can, more more from my own understanding right. than anybody else's. Like more because I start to lose track of it when it gets really technical. Um, but what's what I was looking at that I thought was really interesting um, is that. I think I'll cover Deuteronomy first just because there's so much more in that one. And I feel like the Leviticus passage kind of summarizes Deuteronomy. Well, we just did the Romans road backwards. We can definitely do the the first, the Torah, the first five books backwards. So go for it. And so Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11 is 
Um, I mean, it starts out with something that seems a little weird and out of place in the context of talking about magic, where it says, there shall not be anyone among you that makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, mm-hmm. which like, okay, what does that even mean? Right. Um, and when I was looking at that, it seems to be that the implication is more of a sacred or a spiritual fire. It's the same word for fire that is used when they cook the bread before leaving in Exodus, the Mm -hmm. unleavened bread. Um, When God appears in a pillar of cloud and fire, it's that word. When Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, it's Mm -hmm. that word. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it seems to be more of a like sacrificial or a sacred Mm -hmm. kind of fire that has um, spiritual connotation to it. Because in the Hebrew metaphysic, whatever's happening in the physical realm Mm -hmm. is often being matched or mirrored or somehow we understood the metaphysical realm by what we see in the physical realm. So you you almost always have to be reading the Old Testament from a couple of different layers. It's Mm -hmm. it's actual physical stories that are going on, but there's beyond the physical spiritual realm things that they're pointing to. It's, it's just really fascinating to study it. Yeah, totally. So that one seems to be more of a like, basically don't sacrifice your children, seems whether literally or metaphorically, like don't sacrifice your children to something spiritual. Yeah, but it actually, and as weird as that is, it's, I'm sure it's where you're headed next, mm-hmm. but but why would they be sacrificing their children? Well, typically right. speaking, it was to win the favor of the gods on behalf of some deficiency that was going on among them or to secure some future rewards from that god as a result of the sacrifice. And, and that yeah. just continues to take us into this. Well, which does lend, and we can talk about this another time, but it, it does lend some context to the Abraham and Isaac story where God is like, sacrifice Isaac. And then at the last minute, he's like, no, don't sacrifice the ram instead. And it's this idea of like, this would have been Abraham's understanding of the gods coming from a polytheistic culture that that would have been his understanding of how you worship gods and Mm -hmm. practice spirituality. And God in that moment is like, no, we're doing something different. That's not what's happening here. Exactly. And and Isaac was the promised future. He was. That Abraham would have been relying on Isaac in the generations to come as representative of God's fulfilled promise. And so when that seemed to be under a threat, he continued to trust God, even though the future now was going to be entirely unsure. And it's that idea about future that underpins so much of the prohibitions against magic uh, that we see here coming up. And so this one is a little bit of a mouthful here, but they have that thing about passing through the fire. And then it says, or that uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. Hmm. And so he basically lists like all these different kinds of magic and is like, don't do this. I'm, can you be like a consulter of unfamiliar spirits? I guess <laughs> whatever. Keep going. I know. I, it's incredible. This like, is all in no, the Bible. No, no. I know. I know. Um, and so there are two of these words that I'll talk about in a minute when we talk about Leviticus. But um, that word for divination is, I believe it's pronounced like kesem, kesem, or uh, something like that. My you, Hebrew is atrocious. No, you, you, yes. Um, we have some Hebrew scholar friends, some actual Jewish yeah, scholar friends. I I'm going to hear about it. this later. I know. They're going to both give you grief. And then I they also will. love it how they pronounce the Hebrew. There's just it's something so just cool. so beautiful with that. We should get them to just record all the different Hebrew words. That's a great, and that's have a great a idea. We need like, a button. We need to talk about Hebrew. We'll just, it'll just be Alan being like, yeah, <laughs> Rabbi Alan Keshem. Exactly. Okay. So we're doing the best but we yes. can to pronounce the Hebrew. So that word for divination is specifically connected to Balaam. 
um, mm-hmm. and, and to his prophets. And you had some stuff about that. Well, he was just one of the people that was, um, God was speaking through, uh, and, but using his donkey to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> some, some of my favorite translations though is when he's using an ass to, to speak through There's yes. all, in, in, in sort of the salty version of Christian jokes that, that mm-hmm. has any number of, of wings that can be attached to that. Yeah. That flies in sort of a salty version of that. But yeah, that's it. It, it speaks to, um, again, God moving or, or spirits moving within the unseen realm mm-hmm. in which God is also dwelling. And these people are practicing some of these things. But divination is an interesting one and consulting the spirits yeah. and oracles and mediums and signs of the times. I mean, this is all about people trying to discern the future. The future, because yeah. the future is always scary, right? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody really knows what's going to happen, and, and they're deciding to go to magic to try to discern the future. And God's like, yeah. no, don't do that. Yeah, and so that's what the rest of this is really about, is like the word for which is um, something that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. But it, it basically at its root means to whisper and specifically prayers of worship. Hmm. Um, charmer is more like a more like Habar, um, which is to unite, bind, or join specifically magic, um, like specifically through magical means, which is more of a, a giving of allegiance mm-hmm. in a kind of mm-hmm. way. Um, and then... This is really interesting, but the the last three words in Deuteronomy, which is the consulter with familiar spirits, the wizard, and the necromancer, are all kind of variations of the same thing, where the consulter with familiar spirits is – the word consulter is more one who demands or seeks the counsel of. Mm-hmm. And then the word for familiar spirits, it is ghosts or spirits. Whoa. Um, but it – weirdly specifically has to do with wineskins um and kind of grossly um is literally translated as skin bottle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it seems more like consulter with familiar spirits might have something more to do with possession oh sure like with consulting with the spirits through allowing them to possess like you. channel them in mm-hmm. yeah no it's... yeah so more a channeler yep um and then wizard is yidani which is a conjurer of spirits spirits so you are bringing something forth mm-hmm, specifically mm-hmm. to predict the future and then necromancer is it's an interesting word because it doesn't actually mean necromancer as we understand it it means a lot of variations of die death kill to slay Mm. to whatever um and it seems to the implication is more like somebody who is messing with life and death and specifically with a spiritual death which is super interesting because the first time that that word is used is in genesis when he says do not eat of the fruit for you will surely Mm. die it's that same word um which is really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of patterns in all of that. And, yeah. And I think it goes to, again, and what you and I talked about uh, before is is so much of this is about people being afraid mm-hmm. on behalf of the future. I mean, they just have been released from Egypt uh, through the yep. Red Sea. They're forming a new community. Which was also a 
polytheistic magical culture. Of course it was. And and now they now their life in front of them, whatever else you want to say about Egypt. And mm-hmm. Egypt is also this narrow place. It's a place of sin. Uh it's it's a place where there's not a really a future or a hope for a person. Yeah. But whatever else you want to say about Egypt is that they knew their place and they were not worried necessarily about their future because mm-hmm. they weren't wandering around in the wilderness. It was clear their future was terrible. Oh yeah. But, but it was certain <laughs> in in that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think there's some parallels just about staying in a situation that is really just wrong uh, because the future just for, I think so many of us is just that scary. I don't, I don't really care what's in my iPhone calendar. No, no. We literally don't know what's going to happen an hour from now or a day from now or, uh, or a year from now. And neither did they. And, And it's part of why, they also were so prone to worship the Baal gods that mm-hmm. we read about later in the story. I mean, it's, again, looking back from the 21st century, we say, yeah. how in the world did you worship these dumb little wooden idols and this Asherah <laughs> pole and all of these? But but those, guards were, the, those gods were seen to be potentially in charge of the fertility of the land and of the livestock and of mm-hmm. the people, which you needed to have proper fertility in order for the future to right. continue to be to come forth. And they didn't know that they could trust Yahweh for that. So they began to trust the Baal gods. Or one of my mm-hmm. favorite stories is um is King Saul. When yeah. when the spirit leaves King Saul and now he doesn't know what to do as he's trying to lead the people of Israel in the future. So he's like, well, why don't I just go see this witch of Endor? And and the witch is like, why are you here? You had driven out all of the, the people. Give me a break. And Saul actually had to dress up and pretend he wasn't Saul. And he showed right. up at the witch of Endor. And then the witch consults or communes with the spirits in such a way that that the witch actually dragged Samuel out of the ground, who was <laughs> yep. who was Saul's sort of confidant or, or priest that would tell advisor. him. Advisor. Yeah. Exactly. And then it's my favorite. It was, it was a bad move for Saul because Samuel said, A, what are you doing? Yep. And and B, well, you want to know what's going to happen? Well, tomorrow you and your kids are going to be with me in the ground. <laughs> so it was a, a rough go for yeah. Saul. But but all of this really hinges, and, and Harry Potter has very little of this going on, really, if anything. Um, they kind of this character, Professor Chelani, who is like yeah. the, the divination teacher. But it's a different kind of magic going on in Harry Potter. This magic is God is saying in Deuteronomy, um, don't do this. You need to trust me instead. And mm-hmm. I think for people that are so concerned about whether we should be reading Harry Potter or not, I think there's a different question, which is, um, who are we trusting on behalf of our future? Yeah. And and you and me and so many people in the world today, we're probably not going to do the stuff of Deuteronomy, but I would just bet that we would go ahead and trust any number of things on behalf of our future, which is functionally the equivalent of why they're doing magic. So there's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I know there's more to it. And you've got some things from Leviticus too, about this version of magic that we are supposed to stay away from, which is this idolatrous thing. Yeah. And so that's kind of exactly what's going on in Leviticus um, 1926, where it, it kind of summarizes what they say very, very specifically in Deuteronomy 18. Um, and so Leviticus says, neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. And the word for observe times there is really more to make appear, to predict the future or to practice secretly, Yeah, which is super interesting um, for a number of reasons that I'll talk about in just a second. But the word for enchantment is um, like nahas, not okay. nahash or something You're like that. You're looking at me. You're looking at me right now to correct <laughs> your Hebrew. Are you kidding me? No. Um, and it really, the what's interesting is that the word for enchantment really means to use divination or fortune okay. telling. So it's the or, same kind of thing. Or omens, right? And so, but 
what is interesting is that the root for that word, it's an, it's an onomatopoeic word, um, which is one of my favorite like, I can't phrases, even say that. Onomatopoeia. Say again. Yes, yeah, I literally can't. It's such a good word. I only know it from Winnie the Pooh when yeah. Tigger bounces around the house for a while going onomatopoeia, onomatopoeia, onomatopoeia. <laughs> I, I saw That's that That's the only episode. reason I know what that word is. That's not in the Heffalump um, episode, is it? It might be. That's one of my favorite ones, it's but I don't so remember good. onomatopoeia going on. Yeah. Around. He just like sings it for ages and it's so funny. Um, but it's an onomatopoeic word. Um, and at its root, it means to hiss, which immediately takes us back to the garden and the serpent it does. This and is, the introduction yeah. of doubt. And so essentially when they say enchanter or observe times or witch or charmer or divination or all of these different words that they use, it kind of boils down to a couple of different things. First of all, it is don't give your allegiance to false gods right? because that's a lot of it. Is they're, go- is they're using divination or necromancy or whatever to give their allegiance to false gods in the hopes that those gods will tell them or guarantee their future. Right, exactly. Right? So first of all, it's essentially don't practice idolatry, don't worship false gods. Um, and it is don't don't try and predict your future. Trust me. Or if you have questions about your future, go to God. Because that's essentially what prayer to God is, is we're asking most of the time for help with the future. Hmm. Or with the immediate present. Yeah, and right. so it's not necessarily don't worry about the future. It's more about if you have issues with the future, talk to God. Don't talk to the false gods. Mm-hmm. And certainly don't do necromancy right. to try and answer those questions. But really what it boils down to is is doubt and them trying to mitigate the doubt that they are feeling because... If you're not doubtful about either where you are or where you're going or where you have been, of course you're not going to try and do all of these insane things. So really, like most things in the Bible, it comes down to trusting God. That, I think that's exactly right. I, there's such an interesting theme that gets brought to attention when you use that mm-hmm. word hiss and the serpent, because what you just said about doubt and trust— and, and I think we get understandably confused about whether God is trustworthy because we, we judge God's trustworthiness based on how the circumstances of our lives are unfolding. And whether we believe that those mm-hmm. circumstances are favorable or unfavorable then points to the trustworthiness of God. And, and it's one of the hardest things to wrap our head around that the biblical witness is one in which this is a world in exile and it's broken. And Jesus says things like, well, in this world, you will have trouble, not that you might. And so uh, God's faithfulness is not evidenced by whether or not the circumstances in our lives are working out the way we want them to. God's faithfulness is evidence that he will never leave us independent of the circumstances of our lives. Like he, we can keep leaning into him for or leaning into God for a lifetime. And that's different than the serpent metaphor, the serpent right. symbol that we see, because the serpent doesn't just show up in the garden. The serpent shows up all over the biblical text. Totally. And every time the serpent does, it's it's uh, representative of doubt. One of my favorite stories is when Moses, when God comes to Moses in the burning bush, is like, dude, go set my people free. And Moses yeah. is like, dude, I can't do that. I'm a stuttering shepherd. Give me a break. And God's like, mm-hmm. really? Uh, throw your staff on the ground, Moses. And his staff, it doesn't turn into a rhino, right? I mean, it, no. it, it turns into a serpent. And that's reflective of Moses's doubt related to the stuttering shepherd that he is. Or 
we see um, the serpent show up in the wilderness when the people of Israel are meant to live by manna and trust God daily, Yeah, that all of a sudden they're not really doing that and their heels are getting bit by serpents and they're dying as they're looking down uh, until they raise a bronze serpent mm-hmm. in the wilderness and that can be healed. And, and I think, again, as part of the reconstruction in these weeks ahead, Absolutely. before we ever get into John 3.16, there's this great passage in John three fourteen where it says, just as the, ser- uh, the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so the son of man will be raised. And yeah. whatever else was going on at the cross, there was, uh, Jesus w- was, was healing the doubt that we would ever have that God has our back in this whole thing. And the, the love that operated in those moments, uh, not some weird angry God, not some weird justice God, but just the love of God operated in those moments. Those are some of the pathways in which the doubt, that which our doubt is resolved. It's not that we're not going to doubt; we're just invited yeah. to take our doubt to God instead of to the serpents of this world. Totally. And so I think, really, that it it did get pretty technical. I tried not to have it be technical, but I do think it did to a sure, certain extent. Of course, right. Um, so really, just to summarize the general idea of all of that, specifically with the Deuteronomy passage where it does list all the different things, is it's really it. <laughs> when you know what those words mean, it really reads more like kind of an exhausted parent trying to lay out the rules for their toddler, where it's not, you can't just say you can't do something on a screen because that's a pretty blanket statement and the toddler can probably find some loopholes to that one. Of course. So it's really being like, you're not allowed to go on your phone. You're not allowed to go on the iPad. You're not allowed to go on the switch. You're not allowed to go on the TV. You're not allowed to go on the computer, but it's really all the things. And so if you read it, understanding what those words mean, it is essentially don't do fortune telling, don't do fortune telling, don't do fortune telling, don't worship false gods, don't do fortune telling (laughs) for like all of that, uh, all of those two verses. And so it really does kind of boil down to that where it's like, trust me, don't try to control your own future, but do this in partnership with me instead of turning to these false gods. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the magic that we're not supposed to do is this this place of, of trying to determine our future and take control of all of that. But I think there's a different we're going to call it magic. I mean, Lewis Mm -hmm. clearly calls it magic, but what we're talking about is uh, maybe words like enchantment, maybe like there is actually still a metaphysic going on in this world. We are to to have been reduced down to just science and and atomic structure. uh, And we've taken, we've taken mystery and enchantment out of the world in so many different ways. And we've got a number of things to to just talk about. Mm -hmm. Authors are increasingly talking about the need for the human soul just in general, but also too uh, in our in our faith journey, it, it needs to be filled with enchantment because we're in a faith journey. We're claiming to be in relationship with this unseen realm, and yeah. and the unseen realm is filled with with evil and 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 horror and stuff. But it's also filled with beauty and enchantment, and that and takes wonder. us to like yeah, yeah to one of your favorite authors. I know we we did a first take of this podcast, and <laughs> and one of my favorite parts of the first take that we did that we just don't ever try to recreate those things. No, but you just suddenly not. like leapt up and left me hanging here in the room mm-hmm. for several minutes I as did. you had to run and get your little favorite quote book from uh, your author uh, Maggie Stevewater, who she uh, I'm saying her last name right? No, you're no, not. No, Steve, Steven Waters, Maggie, Steve Margaret, Steve, Otter. Steve Otter. That's the one. Yeah, Maggie well, whoever Steve it is, Otter. you really it's like. It's not her. Water. 
Water? It's not. I've always it's thought it's water. water. Are Look you sure? It. It's Maggie Steve. Otter. You can't even pronounce Hebrew. How do you know how to pronounce that? Because I've heard her say her last name. Oh, that's fine. Okay, so um, one of your favorite authors has some great quotes that get us into mm-hmm. the kind of magic we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say really quickly. Uh, first of all, if you take kind of the modern definition of magic, which is something that we do not understand or have an explanation for, right? Is it? It's really just something that happens in the world that we don't understand, and there are a lot of people who will try and tell you that there is not stuff in the world that is happening that we don't understand. Right. Which is ridiculous and so arrogant. But I that is how I perceive magic is, mm-hmm. is something that a, a force or a, um, yeah, I would say a force that is existing in an unseen and unpredictable way in our world that we do not fully comprehend, but we know is there. <clears throat> For sure, it is. Again, we're just going to keep saying it. There, yeah. this, our faith is primarily unseen uh, in terms yeah. of how we operate within it, and and to strip that out through only theological inquiry or academic logic, mm-hmm. as important as those fields are that I'm often in, we miss the whole point uh, of what we're talking about here in our faith journey. Absolutely. And I will say as well, the implication in the Bible of being able to go to false gods for magic yes. is, is that we ought to be able to go to our one true God for yes. magic. Like and, it, the implication is that that is sort of how the spiritual world works. Right. And so that the problem is not necessarily engaging with magic. It's engaging with false gods. That's exactly right. And so we're talking about the kind of magic that is the, the spiritual reality in which we live. When God yeah. set when, the heavens for the Jewish people and the Hebrew metaphysic, where it was not heaven was not just some place that was like a barge of gold floating beyond the Andromeda <laughs> galaxy that you get beamed up to if you die. Right. Uh, the heavens was the place in which God dwelled, and and it was as near as our next breath. So like mm-hmm. that that example of Samuel in the temple when he's a little boy. Yeah, it's not like God shouted Samuel from somewhere just past <laughs> Mars it right. and timed it, and then he knew because God is omniscient. Right, God, he knew that Samuel would question him a couple times, so he had to shout it a couple more times. Yeah. No, he's got his little iPhone timer, being like, <laughs> all right, it's been like. Six seconds, I should shout again. Shout it again. No, the heavens are as close as our next breath. The veil is often very thin between uh, heaven and earth. And mm-hmm. so even when we pray things like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're just talking about a merging of these two realms in yeah. in, in a way that's one. And, and, and in that realm of the spiritual magic of God's kingdom, it is a place of beauty and wonder and awe and, and revelation and oh boy, there's so much that happens within all of that and we've just stripped so much out of that in our in our faith. Yeah. So part of this quote has to do with like the the first section of this quote has to do with how magic exists in the natural world. Yeah. Um and and our experience of it. And then the second half of this quote has more to do with like humanity's current standing with the concept of magic. So she says, magic, it's a cheap word now. Put a quarter in the slot and get a magic trick for you and your friends. Most people don't remember what it is. It is not cutting a person in half and pulling a rabbit out. It is not sliding a card from your sleeve. It's not, are you watching closely? If you've ever looked into a fire and been unable to look away, it's that. If you've ever looked at the mountains and found you're not breathing, it's that. If you've ever looked at the moon and felt tears in your eyes, it's that. It's the stuff between stars, the space between roots, the thing that makes electricity get up in the morning. The opposite of magical is not ordinary. The opposite of magical is mankind. The world is a neon sign, 
It says humanity, but everything is burnt out except man. Hmm. It's such a beautiful quote because this that's not a distinctively Christian book Mm-mm. by any stretch, but I, I was reading some quotes from a Catholic theologian around just enchantment and magic, or just, again, this idea of the unseen realm. For people that might be tripped up by the word magic, let's just call it the realities that are going on that have agency and force and energy within the unseen realm, because yeah. as they exist, God God exists, and in Him we live and move and have our being. And so, uh, Maggie, how do I say your last name? Steve Vodder. Steve Vodder. Steve Vodder. There you go. Okay, good. Uh, she's not she's not writing from a Christian standpoint, but uh, I was reading this Catholic theologian who said, to be clear, enchantment, sort of this magic idea, is not mm-hmm. exclusively or religiously Christian. It belongs to our human nature, so we can see it everywhere and in everyone, regardless of a person's faith, tradition, or lack thereof. The best fruits of the Christian, Eastern, Jewish, Greek, or any other civilizations are that they were replete, replete with expressions of awe and of wonder and of imagination. And you yeah. could say that as Christians, then we have the distinct and even pressing duty to cultivate an enchanted lens in the world around us, both for our sake and in our commission to be salt and light for the world for the sake of sharing hope. One more a piece of that. In cultivating, uh, cultivating enchantment, the Christian can become the flickering hopeful light in the world, even when he or she is not speaking directly about religion. And this is why fiction and poetry and music and cinema and the arts, these things should matter to the Christian. The gospel is not some engineering blueprint or a balanced mathematical equation. It's not even an argument, per se, even though we sometimes turn it into one. After all, what is love, the heart of the gospel, if it is not enchantment? And I just thought, for for people who've been so stripped of their spirituality or it's seen, like, the orthodoxy of your theological argument tends to be what defines who gets space to speak in the public Christian sphere. So how how orthodox or how strong or... And again, we have to be clear-minded in our thinking. This is not an either-or expression. We're talking about we have focused so much, and I think rightfully so, on what orthodoxy might mean. But we have also then simultaneously, I think, often stripped out uh, enchantment and magic and what really is the human condition I mean I don't I don't cry when I read a theological argument very often I do cry <laughs> when Jean Valjean is yeah. is dying at the end of Les Miserables after wow, this spoiler life. alert I know well sorry kinda. <laughs> you know about see I'm you know me I'm still so mad I about know. spoilers I was in I was on I still remember where I was on the bus as a fifth grader gee I've uh, never heard this six, story before <laughs> as a sixth fifth or sixth grader uh-huh. and I was still living in just the the madness that Vader really was Luke's wow, father at the end. Of, I know Dad. at the end of Empire Strikes Back, and I stayed. And it was two years. We didn't get mm-hmm. a chance to check the internet and read what's going on in the different blogosphere or whatever it all is. You know, the Twitter. I don't even know. Right. It just makes me mad. And really, very. I mean, I could. This is so many years ago, and I can mm-hmm. still remember the seat, the little green sort of. Ew. I don't know what textile velvety. Gross. I'm not even sure what kind of seat it was on the bus. It's the same stuff that kickballs are made out of. Are also bus oh. seats. I think they probably Ew. got by 10 kickballs and get a bus mm-hmm. seat for free back then. Absolutely. And so I was sitting in that bus seat and two twins, I don't know which one it was. I mean, twins, there has to be two. So that's redundant. So twins. <laughs> two twins. <laughs> two twins. Just twins. Okay. <laughs> twins. Uh, Jared and Jason were their names and I don't know which one it was. Jared and Jason. But they saw oh Return gosh. of the Jedi before I had a chance to see it after yeah. two long years, having seen five two times twins, in the theater. Years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and they then said, uh, before I ever had a chance to see the movie, yes, he actually was his father. And Luke, uh, and, like Vader dies in the end. And like all of this stuff, <gasps> it was the biggest spoiler of my life. I am still, you know me. If I know If there's you even are. a hint of a spoiler, I just start yelling at you guys. You do. I do. It's I got do. to the point where I have to say the thing that I'm going to say yeah. before I say what it's from. I know, you have to say spoiler alert. But Anyways. the point is, is that just enchantment and that we've we've stripped that out. We mm-hmm. I really do love the process of theological argument. It's great. But I cry when I am in a museum or I cry mm-hmm. at, when I'm at a sunrise, I cry um, at, at planet earth. I find myself crying. No. David Attenborough. Yeah. Planet, I mean, I, I cry fair. during that because it just, it hits the soul in a different kind of way. And I think mm-hmm. we've stripped out so much of that from our faith. I mean, we need Christian poets and we need Christian artists and we need Christian filmmakers, people that can, that can tap into the enchantment that exists in this world. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will say about that, one of my very, very, very favorite movies ever is Dead Poet Society, which if you haven't watched it, please do. I will say uh, content warning for sure. sure. Um, The end of the movie in particular is very sad and and hard to watch. Yep. Um, So I would recommend doing at least a little bit of research before you do that. But it's a it's a profoundly beautiful movie, and he says, and this is one of my favorite quotes from it, um, he says, we don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, and love, these are what we stay alive for. Hmm. And so I would argue that those are some, not all, but some of the manifestations of, of ma- magic. Of magic, for sure they are. And we're going to get into what uh, Lewis's specific, the, the specifics of C.S. Lewis's mm-hmm. deeper magic in just a minute, but maybe a couple more quotes. Uh, your mom brought this one to me. This is from Andrew Peterson. What uh, just adore. Uh, the God of the Garden. I've had a chance to, um, I mean, he's, he's an incredible singer, His songwriter, and beautiful. author, and I would uh, what's really the name recommend, of the, the, yeah, the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness? Yes, is the Wingfeather Saga, right? Series. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's so good. It's it's cheeky and hilarious and surprisingly profound. It, it and I've had a chance to talk to him twice, just through the times of the mm-hmm. uh, radio and interview him, and and he's just one of these people that also too behind the scenes is just as lovely as he is, you know, and he's just the same person. Mm-hmm. And how rare is that, that as such a visible Christian leader is exactly the same when that, when the spotlight is not on them as when yeah. it's on them. He just is, is, is a normal person, but he's, this is, I haven't read this. I know your mom is really enjoying this book and I, it, I, it comes highly recommended called mm-hmm. the God of the garden. You're a and fake fan. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan. I just haven't read it yet. Uh, and, uh, and he says this from the chapter of the enchanted grove. He says, enchantment lies in different things for each of us. For me, it is in this, to step out of the bright sunlight into the shade of orange trees, to walk under the arched canopy of their jade-like leaves, to see the long aisles of lichened trunks stretch ahead in geometric rhythm, to feel the mystery of a seclusion that has, that has shafts of light striking through it. This is the essence of an ancient and a secret magic, he says. And after long years of spiritual homelessness, a nostalgia here is that I find the mystic loveliness of childhood again. Here is home. An old thread, long tangled, comes straight again. And, and I love that he has 
been willing to call that sort of stuff magic. And I know we're about ready to read from some of the Narnia stuff in C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And, and just one more, this is from C.S. Lewis as he's reflecting mm. on his mentor, George MacDonald, who if people have not heard of I George MacDonald. I George MacDonald. Oh yeah, his his stuff is just great. And, and I think Lewis at once said that anything that he has written or thought about life and faith and kingdom basically came from mm-hmm. George MacDonald. So, he, so C.S. Lewis writes this, that I think really became the motivating impulse behind creating a place like Narnia where there was yeah. this deeper magic from the, before the town of time. He talks about this, about his, the influence of MacDonald. The quality which had enchanted me in MacDonald's imaginative works turned out to be the quality of what was actually the real universe. So we've been talking about like, what is mm-hmm. the true metaphysic? They're actually, this is not, these are not just stories. They're stories that point to an actual real universe, says C.S. Yeah. Lewis. It's the place of the divine. It's the place of the magical, the terrifying and ecstatic reality in which we all live. I should have been shocked in my teens if anyone had told me that what I learned to love in the book Fantasties was goodness. <laughs> but now that I know, I see there is no deception in these stories. The deception actually is the other way around. The Oof. deception is in a moralism that combines goodness to the region of law and duty. And it's a, it, it never lets us feel in our face the sweet air blowing from the, quote, land of righteousness that never reveals the elusive form, which if once we must see it, it would be desired in all of its sensuous desire. The thing in Sapphire's phrase, more good than gold. And hmm. where would this, this is a full-blooded life we're talking about, not some stripped-down faith of moralism and goodness. We're talking about living in a metaphysic of an enchanted world, a, f- a world of darkness and evil and awfulness Absolutely. as well. But I think it's one of the keys. If we're going to wake up to a different kind of gospel, we have to wake up to the fact that there is a whole lot going on in, in the realm of the seen and the unseen, all sorts of beauty and wonder and goodness and all sorts of other stuff that we've stripped out in these last several hundred years. And I will say it's been such an interesting experience for me to spend a good bit of my life in Edinburgh in particular, which is a um, – you and mom all growing up have, have talked about that there are times and there are places where the the fabric between worlds yeah, is really thin. Really thin. Right? And so – Edinburgh is one of those places where because of its like geographic location um, and and some of its history, it is a place where just by nature, it, the veil is very thin is. between worlds. And I've had some really incredible experiences there of, of profound, I would say, magic. Yeah. Um, and some really beautiful and like... Like, it has brought me to tears, some of the beauty of the magic that I have seen there. And also, when I was studying there for university, I was there over Halloween, um, which is one of the times when the space between worlds is really thin. Mm. Um, And also, the hill that we live on when we're staying there is kind of one of the central sites for pagan festivals. And so, it's a little frightening. Yeah. mm -hmm, It's a little scary. And so on Halloween, I was staying there and and a friend of mine was living with me at the time from the States. And I had to try and figure out how to explain to her that like, because she wanted to go and do Edinburgh's ghost tour on Halloween at midnight. And I was like, I don't know 
how to make this any clearer to you that that is a terrible idea mm. and that we are messing with things if we do that that we should not be messing with because not only are we in a place where the veil is really thin, we're also at a time when the veil is really thin and there are people who are actively taking advantage of that near us and you want to go into that space intentionally and mess with that mm-hmm. as like fun. Yeah, like I was like, if terrifying. we were doing that like in Minnesota, like, okay, fine, whatever, let's do it. I don't really care. Um, but not in a place where the stuff that they are messing with feels very, very real. Yeah. And, and it is real. And we're and so when you and I, again, just continue to say, when we're talking about magic, we're not talking about like you and I are going to grab a nine inch wand <laughs> with a unicorn strand in it or something like that. We're not talking about that version of it. We are talking about a world in which mm-hmm. the unseen is actually real. That's the world it's of the Bible. It's more like mysticism. It is. It's the world of the Bible for sure. And yeah. it doesn't me it doesn't take away from us talking in theological language about God, but it means that this is meant to be a full-blooded experiential life and I mean if I was saying and I'm glad I'm not, but mm-hmm. but but if I was, one thing that I think could really strip out the the energy of our faith would be to persuade people that there isn't actually anything like this that exists, as opposed to the idea of these thin spaces. I think just one more quick story. One of the thinnest spaces that I've ever been in was doing a funeral, and I've done mm-hmm. a bunch of them in my life. But um, I remember being in a funeral hall. It was a man I didn't know, and he had just passed yeah. away suddenly, and I was with his family, and uh, his family wanted to play his baptism um, on an audio tape. This was an old school cassette Whoa. tape, like the kind that you would put into like a beatbox cool. player. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, and you, and you put the tape and we put the cassette mm-hmm. tape in and, uh, and all of a sudden this man who was dead began to speak in the halls of this funeral hall and it was his profession of faith. And you could hear him go through the waters of baptism. And I'll tell you what, that space was so thin. I mean, Mm. he wasn't like with us in that way, but he was kind of with us in some sort of way. And suddenly the the realm of the eternal and the realm of the, of the temporal kind of all blended together in one beautiful space. So absolutely. And so where we got our title from kind of to start bringing us us into Lewis, right. right, Is is the deeper magic, which is from C.S. Lewis's the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. I almost forgot the name for a second. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you tell I'm tired? Right. But um, I, I have the quote pulled up here where Susan and Lucy have just watched Aslan sacrifice himself for, right. for Edmund. Um, and in their mourning, they hear the stone table crack and they turn and the body is gone. And they're trying to figure out what has happened. And they turn around and Aslan is standing there. Mm. Alive, very alive. He proves it. It says um, Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. Um, And so he basically proves it by like, yep, physical contact. Here you go. (laughs) I'm real. (laughs) Now you're covered in lion spit. Right. Um, But yeah. And so it says, but what does it all mean? Asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And now... "'Oh, yes,' said Lucy, jumping up and clapping her hands. "'Oh, children,' said the lion, "'I feel my strength coming back to me. "'Oh, children, catch me if you can.' 
and he stood there for a second, his eyes very bright, his limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. Then he made a leap high over their heads and landed on the other side of the table. <laughs> Laughing, though she didn't know why, Lucy scrambled over it to reach him. And, it, and they basically Ugh. go and, and play tag for a while. I, that's that last phrase, laughing, though mm-hmm. she didn't know why. Yeah. I, to me, that makes me, that really just makes me cry because more mm-hmm. persuasive than any some, you know, theological argument or Roman's road or something along those lines. Um, she, there was a magic that she was living within in that moment and she just began to laugh and, yeah. and didn't know why. It's like, I, it's the created magic, uh, not the magic that the witch knew, which is the magic right. of the false gods. This right. is, this is the creation magic. This is the magic that Aslan used to sing Narnia into being at, in um, the magician's nephew. In the magician's nephew, and this is what he was restoring when he broke yeah. the, when the stone table broke, as he was restoring that magic. And and among the many things that I think, as it, if we do the journey of faith more so in in a more full blooded way that combines both uh, theology and magic, the, the yeah. way that we're meant to do this, I think one thing that can happen with Christians is is I think they can become increasingly playful. Like I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, hugely important barometer of my own spiritual journey is the degree to which I easily will take wonder and just dumb things like, yeah. you know, seeing a squirrel out on a feeder that can't quite make it up into the bird seat <laughs> uh, and just, yeah. just laughing about that. Or if I cry at Moana, which, <laughs> Gee, which I do, I know, oh, gosh, I cried all those Disney movies or just, just the, like, if, if I'm not easy, or how to train your dragon. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. How do you not those cry movies at that? Take I know. Me down. Every yeah, time. every time I'm a mess. Yeah, and if, and just not easily playful. Now, none of this means that suddenly the circumstances of this world are going to be easy. They're not. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, part of the magic is that we're, we grieve deeply and and yeah. um, we are hurt and and wounded. But somehow God stays in all of that with us, and and even in those places. But yeah, if I for some reason I'm not feeling terribly playful, mm-hmm. I have to ask at least some questions about some stuff because. I mean, Aslan broke the magic of the witch that had held yeah. the Narnia under this spell of no hope and no future. And and so Lucy... And no Christmas. And no Christmas. <laughs> and suddenly that's broken and Lucy began to laugh and she didn't even know why. And, and yeah. I think when we start understanding the gospel through the lens of some power has been broken, that was a vicious, horrible... Um, desolate winter kind of power that was yeah. killing the imagers that, that, that when that has been broken, I, we might just play a game of tag and we might mm-hmm. just laugh and not know why. And, and it's his idea, not theirs. That's his reaction yes, is his, to play. Thank you. When they're trying to figure it out, they're like, what is going on? What do we do next? What do we do about the witch? What do we do? And he's like, no, we're going to play. Yeah. And I have a suspicion that's part of what Jesus said that let the little children come to me because theirs is the kingdom of God. I mean, little children, yeah. they have a, they just have an ease of delight and, and play. And I think when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you or, or my teachings upon you, my way is easy and my burden is light. Like, mm-hmm. like again, I just want to keep saying out loud, I, life is brutal. This is really is. hard. I, this journey in this exile and, and at 51 years old, my body isn't cooperating the way that I want it to. And it's a really, that does, this does not mean that we have victory through denial yeah. where life isn't just that hard, but there can be this underpinning reliable magic of sorts that captivates us in the midst of it and helps us keep taking those steps forward. And that, that's that deeper magic that yeah. is, he spoke into it. And I know you have one last piece uh, that we'll mm-hmm. probably pick up with again next week a little bit. And, and really 
he did some things that tie into the Garden of Eden in terms of what we're what we're meant for. So yeah, so with that idea of playfulness and that joy that happens right after Aslan's resurrection, is uh, I and it is so interesting to me that this is something that is so intrinsic to my relationship with God mm-hmm. that it I forget every once in a while that not everybody has been taught these things. Um, but but one of my favorite parts of the Bible is that the Garden of Eden, the word Eden means delight. Delight. It was and the Garden that, of Delight. that is what we were created for. That was the space and the mentality that we were meant to inhabit. And so the idea of the crucifixion and the resurrection breaking the power of sin and death is, is it allows us a way back to delight. It allows us to return to the Garden of Delight, to, to what we were originally made for, and I would say that even though magic does exist in some dark ways in the world, I would say that the magic that is is tangibly of God mm-hmm. in the way that we have talked about it, um, I would say that that magic is an extension of Eden, where it's this beautiful, wonderful thing that we can't really explain and we can't really comprehend, but we long for it and and we know it when we feel it. And and I would say that that, that magic feels like an extension of Eden to me. Well, I, I think theologically, uh, the way people would describe that, that is just so spot on, is that we are meant to live in this garden of delight. And, and, and whatever else delight is, it's a place of wonder and love and laughter and joy and peace. And, and uh, it's meant to sort of ever unfold. And when, as we'll talk about again in future episodes, when, when sin is no longer something either I have or I don't have, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's a vicious power at work in this world that is looking to take out the imagers. And, and when that when that power has been broken, um, we begin to be restored into a different kind of way. And even though, yeah. as, as the scriptures would say, our outer person will continue to decay, our inner person will be renewed day by day. And we begin to um, have a bit of Eden inside of us. Paul talks about that being the deposit of our future inheritance, where one day Eden will be fully restored. I mean, the, the scripture starts with this beautiful creation of Eden mm-hmm. and, the, and the center of which is the tree of life. That would be so fun to talk about what the tree of life is at future episodes. Absolutely. And that then, one is fascinating. Oh, it's a big one. And and then they get exiled from the tree of life. And then we're in this crazy journey of exile and strangers in a strange land and, and being just the woundedness of this world. But there still is a deeper magic in this world mm-hmm. that Jesus restored uh, in, in the space in between in which we live right now. Because at the end of the story in Revelation, it says when Jesus will return, uh, that now, once again, the way to the tree of life has been opened. And so there's this restoration of yeah. Eden and delight and joy and wonder. And whatever else Christians are supposed to be or meant to be or whatever it all is, um, I, I just, to walk into a community of people, mm-hmm. sisters and brothers just hanging out together, and what characters are, that characterizes their life together is sort of this spirit-infused magical energy that creates love and peace and joy among them where they're not just putting it on and it's not hypocritical. It just actually is animating who they are. Mm -hmm. I just, that's the kind of deeper magic that we're talking about that I think we'll continue to tap into in future episodes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Do you want to do our outro? Uh, I don't know how to do benedictions. I just did a sermon this morning and thank goodness I didn't have to do the benediction. (laughs) It was a co-sermon and somebody else did the benediction. Mm. I always feel, I don't, I don't know how to benedict. If that's even even a verb. You you were sick that week. I I must have. And and it's the, the, the the right pastors always do the ones out of numbers, something Mm. about God's face shining upon you and granting you some things, but I don't even know how to do that. So I, (laughs) I don't know. You did the intro. So I I did. So I'll just say, thanks for listening to the deeper magic. Uh, This is Peter and Anna and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, that was terrible. Thanks. Mm-hmm.
Indie Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 